0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public, free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom, and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio donate.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Inquiry Sessions on Reality Check Radio. My name is Alistair Harding, and recently you may have heard me interview Nathaniel Mead on this program, the American epidemiologist and independent public health researcher who recently was lead author on the research paper titled COVID-19 mRNA Vaccines, Lessons Learned from the Registrational Trials and Global Vaccination Campaign. When I interviewed Nathaniel, the paper had just been released, and we heard from him about his core call that the paper revealed very strong data and reasons why there should be an immediate moratorium on mRNA products. This was a statement based on research of the clinical trial data of both Pfizer and Moderna, two of the companies who produce the COVID mRNA vaccines. It's not a stretch to say that the article was an instant sensation. As you'll hear, it had over 330,000 reads on the Curious journal. And to put that in context, the average for a research article in that journal is just 2,700. Furthermore, it garnered a rating of 9.2 on the journal's SIQ index, which rates articles out of a maximum 10 points. And this wasn't a mistake. The paper was peer-reviewed by 11 different editors and it had almost 300 references when the average paper has just 30. But none of that in the end mattered, because today, at the end of an eight-point list, the Curious Journal has retracted the study, saying that the article's findings are unreliable and not sufficiently supported by research. So here today to update us on that and explain what he thinks has happened is lead author Nathaniel Mead. Nathaniel, thanks for joining us. I didn't think we'd speak to you again quite so soon.
0: Well, it's great to be here again, Alistair, and neither neither did I.
1: (laughs) Okay, so let's pick up where we left off. Your research article calling for a moratorium on mRNA vaccines has been retracted by the publisher Curious and and their parent company, Springer Nature.
0: The journal is Curious. Okay. The publisher publisher is Springer Nature, and it was retracted today. So this morning, we received the actual retraction letter. So you're the first person to interview me since the retractions happened. Yeah, the editors of Curious were blamed for it in the retraction letter. They were scapegoated, essentially, by by the publisher, Springer Nature, which is the largest medical publisher in the world. They had issued a letter of retraction to us a little over a week ago, and we responded to that letter. They said, we'll give you a week to respond with a rebuttal. So we responded to their eight points in the letter, these, these claims that they made in the retraction letter.
1: And I've seen your response, and it is filled with citations and evidence and proof and so on. It states your position very clearly. Yet, when I read through the retraction letter, there are eight points. They don't supply any evidence to go with each of their points. Is that normal?
0: I don't know, because I've never been through retraction before, but I should have asked Peter McCullough, because he has been through it before. Uh, I think it's not normal, because Peter, Dr. McCullough, when he and I went through it together, we kept making that comment. There's not nothing here to support the statement. Um, but, you know... The key thing is to understand, and for your listeners, that this paper was, we knew from the beginning, incredibly threatening to the vaccine industry. We knew that, and we knew that we were at high risk of a retraction. In fact, the night before the, we received the email with the retraction letter, I was on a big TV cable show, and I said this publicly right before... We got off the show. I said, "You know, I feel very strongly that this paper could get retracted at any moment." And sure enough, the next morning, it, it, it we got mm-hmm. that letter. So, um, you know, the things that we said in the paper the, the, they were based on well documented data and data analyses and actual registrational trials, the Pfizer Moderna trials showing that there was a 31% increase in mortality in the vaccine groups of those trials versus the control group, at least in the long-term Pfizer trial. And long-term is relative. It was only six months and it was uncontrolled for the last few months. But the point is that there was a, a serious trend in mortality going up it was a fourfold increase in the cardiac deaths and so forth. And we talked about that the last time I was on the show. And these are very serious allegations that are based on actual research that's published. So we were simply reviewing what was already published. And then we made analyses that were based on those data that came out after the trials allowed the rapid authorization process. So there were things that we said in our paper that were incredibly threatening like we we exposed the genetic uh, the dna contamination issue you know with the bacterial dna which is a huge threat to the industry because the implications of that are that that alone could result in cancers and autoimmune diseases for for years and years to come so they were immensely threatened by the things that we said we were anticipating that this retraction was imminent and sure enough come to pass. But all of
1: those things, is that not how science works? Is people put something out, other people criticize it or review it like you've done? That's how science works, is it not? By taking away your voice, it's taking away the system of science.
0: Well, I think that's how science used to work. I don't think the scientific establishment is the same as it was 10 years ago. I think the pharmaceutical industry has so much power now. They've infiltrated the media, the social media, and the mainstream media with their messaging. And they're programming the population to believe that these gene-based vaccines, which are really gene therapy products as we establish in our paper, and that's, in, that's you know irrefutable, that these things are safe and effective they've said that over and over and the population is still being told this that th- that it's safe and effective so the the lie is so extensive now i mean it's not only we've been told it but it's been on tv it's been on radio i mean and so the programming of the population has been so extensive that even the people within springer Maybe they even believe it too. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe they do. I know that many doctors still believe it, and we've only st- we recently started to hear from some doctors who are going. I can't believe this is true. I just can't believe it, and they're actually coming out in public and saying, you know, I've been denying this for for four years now, and now they're seeing our paper, and they're and so our paper is waking people up. I'm very happy about that. It has had the largest distribution of any paper in Curious in their history. Their, their typical paper is 2,700 views in 12 months. We had 330,000 views in 30 days. And, and the rating, the, the the scholarship impact quotient, or SIQ, is 9.3 out of 10. And that's even with the vaccine industry coming in and giving their zero ratings.
1: Okay, so before we get into the reasons that it's been retracted, I just want to understand, how does a paper get published? How many reviewers review this paper before publication? What's the process? And how much does it change from the beginning when you first submit it to when it finally does actually get published?
0: Okay, well, you know, the the paper was submitted to Curious in early November, It was the the letter of retraction came about a week ago, Um, so we we you know of course we had no heads up that we were going to get retracted. We knew that that was a risk, but but when we submitted the paper initially, we were immediately embraced as this looks like a very positive you know important paper. We'll work with you on this. We we then had to go through a review process that involved eight. Independent reviewers. And two of the reviewers were within the curious system as their selected reviewers. We then proposed six other reviewers who were at all academic, independent of our process, who they considered. And I think there were additional reviewers that I think I proposed something like 10 reviewers initially who were all like academics and people who had either, you know, professor positions actively or they're emeritus professors or or they were part of some, you know, research enterprise. And so they were, eventually they narrowed it down to, you know, Curious agreed to these six reviewers in addition to the two they had. So we had eight reviewers. There was a lot of comments that these reviewers made. It was a total of over 200 when you include... Comments that went back and forth afterwards with the editors that had to be refined. So all of those comments, I had to go through and make modifications in the paper. I had to either delete sentences, uh, delete citations that they thought were inadequate, you know, studies that they didn't think were good enough to support it, blah, blah, blah. You know, it went on and on and on. It was a long process. How long did that take? Almost, almost three months. Yeah, almost three months. Two months and three, and three weeks. Yeah.
1: And they're reviewers that are independent of your team, and yep. they're they're going through it, and that's yep. the peer review process.
0: That's the peer review process, and and then there's an after that. After they've gone through all of those, and we've responded to a satisfactory degree to all of those reviewers, then an editor from curious takes over and says okay these are the final changes we want you to make and the curious editor says okay we want you to include for example more papers that are f- published in curious okay so we did that we we inserted some papers to to make curious happy because we're advertising for them and you know the Process was very positive. The, the editors were great. We, we how many
1: various editors. editors were involved? Uh, at least three. So we've know. got eight independent reviewers. We've got eleven people outside your team looking at yeah. this before it gets published, and yeah. by the end of the process, everybody's happy and it gets published.
0: Yeah, and and keep in mind too that we had submitted this to another medical journal before this whole process. It went through a review with two two reviewers on that one. And they rejected it after it went through their review process. And they said, uh you can submit it. We're not actually rejecting it. They said, but if you submit it, you have to rewrite the whole thing. I said, well, basically that's a rejection. Okay. <laughs> you know, come on, let's not play with words here. So we just said, forget it. We're not going to rewrite the whole thing. It's perfect. We love it. You know, so we Thanks. left them. We went to curious and then we went through that whole process.
1: So, sorry, just to interrupt, how long was it on Curious before the retraction?
0: January 24th. So January 24th until a week ago. Oh, that would be a, a, about a week. I mean, a, about a month, sorry. A month. About a month. A little under a month, sorry.
1: So how does that come about? Who decides it? Are they the same people that maybe just thought, oh, dear, we, maybe we got it wrong here? Or is it, a, is it a different independent panel who review every paper? And in this case, they decided maybe... The original viewers reviewers got it wrong. Who who makes this decision?
0: Well, that's a bit of a black box thing right there, because we don't know who's pulling the strings here. Okay. We know that Springer Nature is a huge medical publishing house that has probably extensive connections to the farm the biopharmaceutical complex. And that is, you know a closely coordinated collaboration of government agencies, pharmaceutical companies, media companies and so forth. And so there is a this paper was basically a bombshell that triggered a lot of concern in the industry and most likely it was the pharmaceutical stakeholders who influenced the publisher Springer Nature to get this retracted. I think that that's pretty clear. When you look at the retraction letter, because the eight points in the retraction letter, some of them read read like position statements for the industry. They mm. don't read as actual criticism because they're so broad and they're so uh, basic to our paper. You know, they're they're, and so it's it's extremely unlikely that the editors at Curious, the journal, had anything to do with this at all. And in fact, when we've reached out to them. We're not getting any responses, even though they were completely supportive of this whole process going in. So it's very possible that this is an example of predatory publishing or predatory retraction.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Yeah, basically what what's happening here is that you're, you're coming into a journal with the idea that, okay, their intentions are good. You've got positive editors and all of that. So it all feels very good. But predatory means that it was a premeditated setup, that the vaccine enterprise is trying to use a mechanism to suppress the narrative that we're trying to put forth, which is that these things are unsafe and ineffective. Okay, so the way that they do that, the way they suppress that is through a retraction The way it suppresses, basically, there's three major benefits that the pharmaceutical industry gets through a retraction. The first is they get to suppress our key findings about the COVID-19 vaccine dangers, okay? So, basically, it implies that the vaccines are beneficial to public health, they're not dangerous, don't worry about it, there's nothing to see here. So, that's the first one. The second thing that it does is that it casts doubt on the research and integrity and validity of our paper so that the general public no longer believes or has faith in the paper itself. The paper's research focus, the analyses that we did so carefully, uh, the conclusions that we drew in the paper, all of that gets doubted.
1: And in the future, they can call you a discredited researcher for the rest right. of your career. And,
0: there's, and that's the third one, exactly, is it's damaging our reputations. You know, so that, that discrediting and damaging of reputations impacts our future research and, and collaboration possibilities and being able to publish in mainstream journals. And in fact, once you have a retraction notice on your paper, it shows up obviously in the journal itself, which is curious, but it also shows up on PubMed. So it's like advertising that you failed. And this this is a big win for for Pharma. It's a big win for Pharma when they get the publisher to go along with this. Actually they it's not hard for them to do that because so much of open access journals, this is important to say, which a lot of people may not know, but these are free open access journals. So how do you think they get most of their money? If it's free, open access, it's mostly through advertising, pharmaceutical, and sponsoring of content. They can actually mold the editorial direction of the journal and so forth. So all of that is happening through the pharmaceutical industry. And ultimately, of course, a predatory retraction erodes public trust in the scientific research and publishing process And so, in a sense, truth itself is under attack because they're creating a lot of confusion and disillusionment among the public, you know, and, and cognitive dissonance. So they create this conflicting narrative about what actually happened with our paper.
1: Let's just run through it so the the listeners actually understand what's going on. There's a list of eight reasons why the paper was retracted, according to Curious. The first two are that the paper was found to be misrepresenting all-cause mortality data and VAERS data. The third is that you've made a calculation on how many lives were saved by the vaccines, but they don't agree with that calculation. The fourth is about the definition of vaccines. The fifth is to say that you're wrong, that the vaccines are contaminated by high levels of DNA. The sixth is a technical one about misrepresenting a cited reference. And the seventh and eighth are about safety and efficacy testing and what happens to the spike proteins once they're in the body. So the first one, let's start with points number one and number two. It says that you misrepresent all cause mortality data and VAERS data. Maybe if I could test these ideas by taking the other point of view. Does the retraction actually have a point? I mean, are these data sets that are reliable?
0: Yeah, they're, they're reliable. They're, they're studies and data, and the data sets are reliable. So in terms of the all cause mortality, you know, we clearly sh- show and documented our paper all eight reviewers agreed with the way that we presented that all cause mortality. That's why you have reviewers so that they can go through these things and they can carefully screen them. So the all cause mortality data that's very solid and then the various data is, you know, we we clearly say we're not saying that bears is a causal database it's actually just designed to tell us that there's a signal so that there were serious signals so we 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 covered ourselves we we used charts in there from Veris that were only two charts that were based on direct queries to the Veris database easily easily confirmed so these um, are
1: signals you're you're highlighting signals that you think should have been brought up but that they're, they're, yeah. they're being ignored
0: yeah like autoimmune disease we showed 800 percent increase when you compared the vaccine the COVID vaccine to the flu shots in the three years lead prior to the pandemic, and and then you look at um, the th- the third claim that they made, which was risk benefit. It was the number of deaths caused by the vaccines versus the number of lives saved in terms of COVID uh, deaths prevented. Okay, and we we went through that. We explained it. the The claim was that we didn't provide sufficient evidence. <laughs> which clearly showed that the people who were doing the criticism had no scientific training at all. Because when you make a calculation, it's not about evidence. It's about getting the data and knowing how to analyze the data properly. That's what an analysis is. So when they said the evidence is not sufficient, it it was a a complete disconnect, and it reflected a, a degree of scientific illiteracy. Uh, the fourth point was about gene therapy products. So points four, five, six, seven, and eight were actually position statements by the vaccine industry. Four, five, seven, eight. So number four is vaccines are gene therapy products. That's incorrect claim. They said we never said. Vaccines are gene therapy products. It, it sounds like a, a a grade school child coming out going, vaccines are gene therapy. No, actually what we're saying is that there is a problem with the terminology that vaccines, COVID-19 vaccines, because they are gene based, they're planting a genetic code in the body, they're technically gene therapy products, and that's according to the definition prior to the pandemic. So for 30 years, the cancer industry used that definition and would refer to the, M- the mRNA vaccines as gene therapy products. So we're not the ones who are saying it. We're just reporting what we saw in the medical literature. And, and so yeah, obviously it was a distortion the way they presented that because they, they said that's an incorrect claim. But if you look at that, the fact that they're saying, no, you can't say that these vaccines are gene therapy products, This is what the industry is desperate to get people to not understand, because if you start to classify these as gene therapy products, then your basis for establishing safety changes. It's no longer the same as the classical vaccine. It's actually now a more serious issue because you're altering the genetics you're, you're, you're exploiting the genetic code and you're introducing a whole set of complex factors that have to do with the human genome. But that's that's why they're saying this because if they can make a statement like this and retract a paper based on this, remember, these are, these are their position statements. They will present this and they'll say, see, we ret- retracted this paper because it was incorrect. It stated that vaccines are gene. They're not gene therapy products. Look, you can see that. We retracted this paper. So these are position statements that the vaccine industry wants us to get. So the next one. Point number five. The
1: article states that vaccines are contaminated with high levels of DNA. Upon review, we found that the cited references are not sufficient to support these claims.
0: Okay, so we very easily dismissed that one. It's basically a a hand-waving argument. They're saying that the references are not sufficient, but they are sufficient. This was a very recent discovery because even as we were going through the review process with our reviewers, the, the papers were being published on this issue. Okay, so we had to insert them as we were going through the review process and come up with a separate section. Actually, one of their reviewers, who's named Reviewer Alpha, because they don't say who these people are, Reviewer Alpha said, you guys need to have a whole separate section on DNA contamination, which we also call process-related impurities. So we did that. We created that section in the paper based on their recommendation, a curious reviewer's recommendation. And so we did that. We supplied all the references. They were completely sufficient. And the authors, I mean, uh, the reviewers agreed with us. They said, okay, that's great. This is solid. You guys have covered it. Um, even the editors, when they looked at it, they said, okay, and they had no problem with it. Um, So, you know, it went through the review process, and this is just a ridiculous uh, saying that, you know, the cited references are not sufficient. When you make that
1: point, what happens with these reviewers? Do do they protest? I mean, their work is being retracted as well here, right?
0: Well, one of the reviewers sent me a note today I can even read to you if you're interested. It's a short statement, but the reviewer said, I am revolted by the retraction of Meade et al., exclamation point. It is unwarranted and based on weak and petty unsupported accusations. Your actions are indicative that Springer Nature Publishing is a pawn of their pharmaceutical advertisers, not science. And the reviewer then added, I will not review for you again, nor will I submit manuscripts. Now, this is hurting curious. This whole thing is hurting the journal. But the publisher doesn't care because they they publish, you know, hundreds of, I mean, they've. I, I think it is hundreds of journals, different journals. They've got a lot of them. So um, they don't mind sacrificing one journal or the reputation of one journal. Um but then the next big point, number seven, we can skip over number six because it's irrelevant. It was just a citation that they misinterpreted. and We showed that it was accurate. Okay, number was
1: all- seven, the article states that mRNA COVID-19 vaccines did not undergo adequate safety and efficacy testing, which the journal considers to be incorrect.
0: This is the most absurd statement in the whole bunch, and it shows that this is coming from the vaccine industry because this is the central premise of our whole paper. We never would have had the paper even considered by the journal if they thought that this was incorrect, let alone accepted for publication. This is the, the the basic principle of the whole paper that the vaccines did not undergo adequate safety and efficacy testing we show that we explain why the clinical trials were misleading why the authorization process was rushed the whole paper is focused on this central idea so for the journal to say that it's incorrect is laughable because I, the editors of the journal fully agreed with us
1: i find it a really incredible one actually because there's over 300 citations or re- references throughout your
0: paper 293, 293,
1: 293, and it's wiped <laughs> out by one line, which, which says, which the journal considers to be incorrect, right, no right. reference to go with it, no evidence to support it,
0: exactly, and this guy, Tim Kirsch is, you know, the head of their so-called research integrity division, which is an Orwellian irony of the highest degree, he is making this, as you say, without, any evidence and he's also basically trying to undermine the whole paper in one fell swoop with that statement and and that's that's the nature of disinformation this is a disinformation campaign
1: what's the future of science if these kind of actions actually continue to happen because in this particular case your paper is effectively saying these products need looking at they're potentially dangerous and by retracting the article, the journal's effectively saying, we don't think the public needs to know this. The, paper's, the paper is actually more dangerous than the product. That's what they're saying. So if scientific papers like this, if their purpose is to test ideas and you give your idea and they give their idea and so on, and it's just being wiped out by a line saying which the journal considers to be incorrect, what's the future of science if this is, this is how we're behaving now?
0: Well, we may have to create a whole separate publishing universe. If, if, if you have journals that are basically captured, you know, you've heard of agency capture with the CDC being captured. Um, that's the Centers for Disease Control in the United States. The Food and Drug Administration has been captured for a very long time by the pharmaceutical industry. Over 75% of their revenue, the FDA, comes from. The pharmaceutical industry. Um, the same thing is happening with many medical journals. The Lancet, which used to be a very reputable journal, British medical journal, is completely corrupt. They've lost all respect. They are basically an advertising vehicle for the for the industry, and the editorials they write are actually advertorials. They are advertising through their editorials. And the auditorials themselves are clearly being informed by the pharmaceutical industry and what they want to get out of it. And they're funneling huge amounts of money into these journals. So the future is, I think, that we're going to have to have journals that are identified, that are not yet captured, that have to be separate from the journals that are predatory in this sense. You know, You have to start, unfortunately, selecting journals that may not have a lot of respect from a conventional scientific point of view, but they are secure from the threat of uh, retraction such as this. So that's probably what we're facing is a whole new way of publishing. We're going to have to create a whole new peer review system, which a lot of doctors are talking about. A lot of researchers are talking about we're going to have to have a new peer review system that is independent of the existing system that is somehow being corrupted at this point.
1: The good news is, with all of this, is that your paper was also downloaded, I want to say, a record number of times. So it it is out there.
0: Yeah, it was. It was 330,000 views in the first 30 days compared to their average, which was 2,700 views in a whole year. So it was a major success, (laughs) publishing success. And then the scholarship impact quotient, or SIQ score, was 9.3 out of 10. And that was despite the fact that the pharmaceutical industry sent their trolls in there to put zero ratings across the board. And even with the zero ratings, it comes out to 9.3. If they hadn't put those zero ratings in there, it probably would have been approaching 99 by by the time it got retracted, and and of course that would have been extremely humiliating for the publisher, because the scholarship impact quotient is looked at as a sign of success of a of a scientific paper. So this is this is where we're headed. It would have, it would have hit nine point nine easily, um, and um, and the journal is going to lose a lot of readers, unfortunately, and they're certainly going to lose a lot of submissions from cutting edge. But this, this serves the industry because then it homogenizes the narrative that the journal will only get pro-vaccine articles going forward and they've succeeded.
1: But there is a flip side to it as well that hopefully, you know, going through these situations, we are all learning the importance of independence and we're learning the importance of the peer review process and all of those things that perhaps we took for granted we're relearning why they're so important.
0: And and I just want to say a couple things really quickly about the process, too. We When we submitted our rebuttal letter, we cited numerous studies that directly contradicted the points that they made. And it was so easy to do because we drew it from our own paper. We didn't have to go outside of our paper to find the evidence. It was right there in the paper itself. And I'm talking about, about dozens and dozens of, of citations to studies that are uh, well-established, peer-reviewed studies in our paper. So that's number one. Number two, which I think is really fascinating, I learned as I was writing up the rebuttal letter that five out of the eight statements in the retraction letter were directly adapted from comments made by these uh, two well-known trolls from the vaccine industry. Okay, these are two guys that go around and they make comments whenever there is a, an article or a paper that's published that's uh, questioning the narrative that these vaccines are safe and effective. These two guys, they go in there and they insert their comments right after the paper's published, and their sole purpose is to really uh, denigrate the co-authors to, and make the paper sound like it's misleading. And And these are commenters,
1: public commenters, and five of the eight points made in the retraction letter are basically pulled straight from there.
0: From them. I mean, you can see it verbatim in the first two comments. And then if you look carefully, you can see, because the first two comments are verbatim from a single comment from one of those guys. And by the way, these two guys who do this, they are not even trained in epidemiology or biostatistics. They have no training at all in epidemiology or biostatistics. So when they come in there, they just cite studies, but they don't even realize that the studies that they're citing are fundamentally flawed, and several, a lot of those studies are fraudulent studies. But they don't know that because, A, they're, they're getting paid by the industry to go in, and again, they're well. These are well-known social media trolls. Their whole job is to pose as if they're scientists, and then they go in and try to create confusion. They mock readers who are, pro, you know, talking about, oh, this is a great article. They mock them. Um, they 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 try to create confusion. And the fact that they informed five out of the eight statements in the retraction is just incredible. It's really incredible. Okay, so what's the future?
1: Is this the end for the research paper? Or is it <laughs> no, no, published? no. Is it going to be published anywhere else, or is there an appeal process for any of this?
0: Well, that is the good news is we've, we're already submitting it to another journal. I actually have two journals who are clamoring for it and really want it. One of the journals is on PubMed. The other journal is not on PubMed. Now, if you have a journal on PubMed, that journal is more likely to be targeted by the pharmaceutical industry if it's not on pubmed there's more safety but it's less likely to get a lot of attention and you have to promote it a lot to in order to get the message out there which is not too hard to do these days through social media and um you know substacks and all of that but it's very clear that my co-authors are split on this <laughs> some of them are like Oh, let's get it on PubMed again, you know. And some of them are like, "No, let's be safe and just go with the other journal." So I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. But you know, the good news is that truth will prevail. I know that sounds very crunchy, chewy, but uh, the truth will prevail. It will get out there. This paper is just going through another phase of its journey. And even though we got the retraction today officially. I already submitted the paper for publication in another journal today. Okay. Within two within 2 hours of getting the retraction, I submitted it, went through the process with this other journal that's on PubMed. I'm not going to mention the journal's name because I don't want them to get in trouble. But we're we're actually re, renaming the title, and I suggested this because if you if if you get a, a paper on PubMed, you want to have a slightly different title so that people don't get confused when they see the retracted paper. Okay. So the original title has been changed and now it's COVID-19 mRNA vaccines lessons learned from clinical trials global mass vaccination and okay drum roll bias from the biopharmaceutical complex okay now that's quite a mouthful but You know, that's what we're doing because we're saying, okay, this is censorship is real. Retractions, when they happen in this manner, are pure censorship. And we can't have this in the scientific, it can't happen in science because if it happens, it's the end of science as a mode of. Improving public health and improving medicine and all that, it becomes a corrupted entity by itself. So we're calling out the biopharmaceutical complex, which is a very important step, and just making it conscious so people know that this is why you're not hearing about the truth, because it's getting censored. And I think
1: Uh, that's the reason that offends me most about this. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a researcher, but I think the main point that offends me most is that you're trying to alert the world, and it is being censored, it is being silenced, it's being told it's not good enough, and we're not good enough to hear the message that it's saying. And I think that's a, it's a very dangerous place for our world to be going to. So yeah, we thank you very much. We're going to have to end it there, but I mean, we could talk about it all day, couldn't we? But um, thank yeah. you very much, and also thank you for fighting, fighting for your paper so ferociously. I mean, a lot of people would probably just put it down at this point and try and move on and save their career. So it's it's really good to see you actually. You're not giving up.
0: Uh, and I really appreciate you being. Willing to invite people like me on your show because it's people like you who have an open mind and a discerning mind to help us get this kind of message out. And I, I just hope that there are more media outlets like you who are, you know, people who are willing to to speak truth to power. Um, so thank you, because we're all working this together. You know, I'm I'm helping trying to be a bridge between the scientific experts and the public. And you're actually doing the work of the public. So thank you. Appreciate it.
1: That's Nathaniel Mead, epidemiologist and independent public health researcher, here to discuss the retraction of his paper titled COVID-19 mRNA Vaccines, Lessons Learned from the Registrational Trials and Global Vaccination Campaign. The retraction in itself is not an unheard of event, Papers do get retracted by journals all the time, and maybe the editors of the Curious Journal have good reason, but they don't explain those reasons with the evidence that they say is missing from the article. And for that reason, a mist of doubt descends on their decision. But mostly it's disappointing that the retraction has interrupted discourse on this topic of lessons learned during the global vaccination campaign, because we're told that more than 5 billion people around the world have now taken these products – And so far, the only information those people have heard about the products they took has come from the manufacturers themselves. But if we know anything about suppressing voices, it's that they usually get louder the more they're suppressed. And five billion people could turn out to be a hell of a din. My name is Alastair Harding, and you've been listening to the Inquiry Sessions on Reality Check Radio. The RCR Inquiry Sessions. Unpacking the COVID response for an honest inquiry. If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward donate.